0: Thank you, Kathy, for that wonderful song. Look on our fault and sorrow need. Now we'll the young people go to junior church now, and the rest of us take our Bibles and turn with us. Two portions of Scripture we'll be looking at. In First uh, Thessalonians chapter two, we've been studying and preaching through this portion of Scripture. First uh, Thessalonians, we've kind of taken a topic and been looking at it here out, out of this portion. First Timothy, or excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter two verse uh, 17 and verse number 18. And then we're going to be looking in over into Second Cor- uh, Corinthians chapter uh, 4, verses 3 and 4. Book of, Th- uh, Theles- uh, of Thess- Thessalonians. I can't even say this one. First Thessalonians is a great book. It's got a great message for us. And here in this portion of scripture it says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, Endeavor the, uh, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. And that idea there is to cut off or to impede, uh, cut off the way. Paul wanted to go and be with the Thessalonians to encourage them, to, to give them the gospel. And uh, Satan knows that and knew that, and he went and uh, blocked his way so that he would not be able to go. Uh, we've seen that uh, Satan not only hinders, but Satan tempts. And we've been looking at this idea of Satan's work. He hinders, he tempts us to sin. You say, well, pastor, uh, you know, I, I just have a problem with sin. Well, Satan tempts you to sin. He encourages you along the lines of sin to go in the wrong direction. Uh, the whole world lieth in the wicked one. We've seen that. Uh, we've also looked uh, over there, in, if you would, in Second Corinthians chapter 4, that Satan blinds the minds of the lost. He blinds the minds of those that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we're going to be looking uh, and going a little bit further in this one, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And whom the God of this world, referring to Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Let's pray. Dear Father, we pray this morning. That you would help us to see how Satan works, how, how he operates. Lord, that we would not be ignorant concerning his devices. Satan has a plan, he has a strategy that he, that he plans for uh, people, for believers, and for others, Lord, so that uh, he can do all that he can to thwart the work uh, of they. But Father, how wonderful it is to know that you're greater than Satan. And Lord, we have a confidence and we have an assurance today from your word, that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And Lord, today I pray that you would just be with us and help us to see how Satan works and how we can how we can continue to, to move forward uh, by, the, by the help of thy spirit, by thy power. And Lord, we'll just give you all the praise, the honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We saw, as we were looking at this idea, how, did, how does Satan blinds? Well, he encourages people to look at another god rather than the true and living God. you know God doesn't care or Satan doesn't care if you look to any other God you can be a, a pantheist uh, and you believe that uh, the gods in all things you can, if that's what you believe that's fine Satan is, is fine with that because uh, he's the one that energizes that thinking. Uh, he doesn't mind if you look to Mary and you worship Mary God, he doesn't care about that that's okay that's great. The problem the the thing is that as long as you don't look to the true and the living God for as the as your God and Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's happy with that. Because the whole world lieth in the wicked one. He is the one who generates the thinking of this world. And if we're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, then we are looking to another God. If you, if you want to believe in Allah, people say, well, you know, all, uh, we have all these different names, Baal and Allah, and they're all the same God. They're not the same God. Uh, they are directing, all, there's only one true and living God, and that's the God of the Bible. Amen. And folks, uh, if you're following a different God today, or Confucius or Muhammad or, or Allah or any other God other than the true and living God, you're not tr- following the, the, the God that's going to get you from here to heaven. And because it's through his son, Jesus Christ, Satan tries to get us to, to focus on our feelings. He tries to get us to, to, to feel good. He blinds the minds. He encourages people just to go off of your feelings rather than the facts of God's word. He, encor- he encourages people to, uh, to follow the pleasures of this life. To follow the pleasures of this life. When you follow the pleasures of this life, you're not going to follow God. The Bible says we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And uh, we're, if, that, if, if anything else, if we're following pleasures, and pleasures are what we're uh, giving our life over to, that has become our God. Satan's fine with that. that doesn't, he doesn't mind that at all. In fact, he will encourage that. How many times do people go and they try this over here because they, they think that's going to give them joy and that's going to give them happiness? Uh, maybe it's doing bungee, you know, bungee off of those rocks. You say, Pastor, I, I really like to do that. You know, your eyeballs, you know, you jump off of that, that rubber band, off of that big bridge. I would be afraid that rubber band would snap. You know, you say, well, pastor, that would be a thrill. Yeah, that'd be a thrill. But then you got to do it again. And, you know, after a while that becomes old. And so now you look for a new thrill. And it, and and it's just a constant desire to for something better, something more uh, exciting. The problem is that will never meet and fill that spot in your life, which is, uh, a hole that is filled only by the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what you try to do, no matter what you try to put into that, and Satan will give you a lot of different things to try to put into that place, to give you a sense of, of uh, longing and love and, and purpose, and the only way you can have that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan blinds people's minds by trying to get people to go uh, uh, living by the pleasures of sin and the pleasures of this life. He... Satan tries; uh, he blinds people's minds by helping them to think that that, uh, the things of God are foolishness. Oh, you know what, that that, that Bible, that's old and antiquated. You don't have to believe in that. And so Satan blinds people's minds because they hear people say that. And and, uh, you say, well, that was written so long ago. You know what, this book is just as relevant today as it's ever been. In fact, you know, it's exciting because as you read the Word of God, I can even know what's going to happen in the future. Read the book of Revelation, it tells you what's going to happen. You can see the pieces of this book coming together. Uh, a one world government, a one world religion. You can see it all moving together uh, as, as, uh, as just a fulfillment of God's word. This book is relevant for today, my friend. But uh, Satan tells people and blinds people's minds by saying the things of God are foolishness. He blinds the minds of others by telling them, hey, you're all right, you don't need a Savior. You're religious. we were looking at that idea of, of people who were religious. The Jews had, heard the, had had the Old Testament Scriptures. They knew the Old Testament Scriptures, the Pharisees, and so forth. Their hearts had waxed gross. Their ears had, were dull of hearing. They weren't listening to the things of God. These people were religious but lost. You know, folk who are religious but lost are the hardest to try to win to Christ, as I said before. They had the attitude, well, I'm okay. You know, I've got this background behind me. You know, I've gone to church all my life. I, I've, I've done the things that, that uh, I think are required. You know, I come and I, I have a song book and, I, and you know when they said, they say sing, I, I get up and I sing and, and, and I, uh, I, I carry my 10-pound Bible. You know, I, I, I don't read it, but I carry it. Folks, can I tell you something? It's not, it's not about just having a Bible. It's what you do with the Bible. Reading the Word of God. Can I tell you something? It's not just about knowing about God and knowing about Jesus. That is not going to make you free. It's what you do and an application of God's Word in your life which changes you and which uh, causes you to become more like Jesus Christ. A lot of people have come and sat in the pews and they've heard the message of the gospel. They could tell me all the stories. They could tell me about Goliath and, and, and uh, the Red Sea party and all that type of stuff. That's all fine and good, but folks, may I share with you? If it if it doesn't if you don't see the application, what is the application of, of uh, David and Goliath? There were some giants that... David, that giant Goliath was, a, was an obstacle in, in David's life that needed to be overcome. And folks, we all have giants in our life. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's discouragement. Sometimes it's doubt. And we have giants that that need to be overcome in our life. And may I share with you, by the grace of God, you can overcome those giants. That's the application. You need to go to God and God can help you. You, Maybe you have a giant in your life that's really large, a, a giant of alcoholism or drugs, and you say, well, pastor, you know what? I just can't get rid of get rid of my drugs. I can't get rid of the alcoholism. Can I tell you something? By the power of God and you coming to God and say, God, I need your help. Please deliver me from this evil, wicked sin. See, part of the problem is this. We don't want to call it sin. We come today and we call things diseases rather than sin. The things that... You know, alcoholism, people say, well, it's just a disease. No, God calls it drunkenness. It's called a sin. See, we want to mask it up and look make it look real good. But I submit to you, until you deal with sin, it's not you're not going to have you're not going to have joy, the joy of the Lord. You're not going to have peace. And so when we we think of this idea here that that people who are religious, they say, I'm okay, I don't need anything. But until a person is willing to humble themselves, as Jesus said, as a little child, you cannot go to heaven. I need a Savior. I'm a sinner. And all of us are. And praise God that God knew that we were a sinner. We were on our road to hell because of our sins. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, God says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can't go to heaven until you have a new nature, a heavenly nature. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Ye must be born again. He says, Verily, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not, I say unto you, you must. Be born again. Jesus came to give you a new nature. A heavenly nature. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. By the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That word regeneration is new birth. You need a new birth. You know, some people talk about their second childhood. That's kind of like a new birth. A rebirth. Can I tell you something? When you get saved, you get a new birth. It starts, God gives you something new. Praise God for the fact. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Satan tells people who are religious, you're okay. He blinds their minds. They don't need the gospel. And if you're religious here today without Jesus Christ, I don't care if you've had ancestors way back that were religious, went to church, were good people, doesn't mean that you're on your way to heaven. Satan blinds the minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto you. Satan also does something else. Satan provides the lost with a different gospel to believe. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 1. We're talking about Satan blinding the minds. One of the things that Satan does, he blinds the minds, lest people see see the light of the glorious gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verse number 6. I think this is very important. Satan provides the lost with a different gospel to believe. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. The apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Galatia because Paul had gone to this area. He had given them the gospel that Jesus Christ died for their sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's how you're saved. You believe what God said about his son. He was a savior. He died for you. He was buried and rose again. That is the gospel. That's how you know you're going to heaven. That's your standing and being able to go. They came, some people came in behind the apostle Paul and were teaching another gospel, a different gospel. And look what it says in, in Galatians 1.6. I marvel that you are so soon removed, Paul speaking, from him that called you under the grace of Christ unto another gospel the word another there is the greek word heteros it's dealing with a different gospel this gospel that was being brought in to this church at galatia to these believers was a different gospel it was different than the one that paul said jesus died for your sins he was buried and he what rose again you've got to believe those things jesus died for your sins he shed his blood to pay for your sins he was buried and the third day he rose again these people that were coming behind Paul were bringing another, a different gospel. And look what he says in verse number 7. Which is not another. That word another, it looks like in the English, it's, it looks like the same another as in verse number 6, but it's a different Greek word. That word is a loss. And that, and that word a loss means another of the same kind. He says, let me just tell you something. Here's the, this new gospel that's being brought in and taught by people in the church is not the same gospel that I preached unto you. It's a different gospel. And people say, well, you know what? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. That's not true. That's not true. And Paul, look what he says here as he's talking in verse number 7. He says, there is, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you. These people are bringing in this other gospel. And this other gospel was this. They were saying, you know what? You need to believe in Jesus Christ, that he died, he was buried, and rose again. You believe that. You must believe that. That's important. And so people were saying, yeah, yeah. But then they were saying this. You must keep the Old Testament law as well in order to be saved. Because, you know, the Old Testament law is good. And you need to keep the Old Testament law plus believe in Jesus Christ. And then you're going to go to heaven. That was another gospel. Look what he goes on to say. These people were troubling these believers and would pervert. Can I tell you something? Another gospel, a different gospel than the gospel that's found in John or 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, other than that the, the Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, any other gospel than that is a perversion. And that's what he's saying here. That word perversion means to turn around. That would... Uh, pervert or turn around the gospel of Christ but though we are an angel from heaven preach any of, any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you let him be accursed accursed anathema Paul was making an interesting, uh, interesting statement here let this person if a person preaches another gospel unto you let him be accursed forever separated from God that's a pretty strong statement as we said before, so say we now again, if any any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. You know, Satan is a copycat. He's a copycat. For example, you say, well, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, as you have a holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Satan has an unholy trinity. Satan, in the position of God, the Antichrist, which is going to be on the earth, and I believe he's alive right now, and the false prophet; those three are the un- what we classify as the unholy trinity. Satan mimics God; he gives you a similar, but it's a diversion. Let me give you a, an example of how Satan is a copycat. We find this in in the Old Testament, First Kings chapter twelve. First Kings chapter twelve. Because we're talking about this idea of a a different gospel. A different religion. 1 Kings chapter number 12. Satan blinds people's minds by giving them a different gospel. Here in this portion of scripture, to give you a little bit of a background. You had Solomon, who was the third of the, the kings of the nation of Israel. Solomon, remember he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and, and they encouraged him to, to uh, go after false gods, and, and so he was, he was putting up temples and all over the place for all these false gods, and he was encouraged, these wives said, well, I want, one, I want a special place of worship for my God. So he was just doing whatever. He wasn't following the true and living God any longer. He was following the gods of the world. And God says, okay, because you've done that, Solomon, I'm going to divide the kingdom. Ten tribes in the north and two tribes in the south. Uh, Two of the tribes, the two tribes in the south were Judah and Benjamin. He says, ten tribes in the north. I'm going to split this kingdom in in half. And the ten tribes in the north are going to follow after a different person. And his name was Jeroboam. Jeroboam, uh, he was a a person who uh, decided, you know, uh, I'm going to rule up here, but, you know, the place of worship was down here in Jerusalem. God says I, the temple was down there. The place to offer sacrifices was down in this place called Jerusalem. And the people would have to come from the north, would have to come down to the south where Jerusalem was, and worship. And here this man, Jeroboam, says, you know what? If the people up here, if they come down here to worship down here, pretty soon they're going to get an allegiance with this king down here called Rehoboam. That was Solomon's son. And he says, they're going to get back with them and because that religion, they're going to be teaching about following God and, and worshiping God. So here's what Jeroboam did. He came up with his own religion, with his own way of doing things. Look with me, if you would, in this portion of Scripture. Look, with, uh, look here in, in 1 Kings, uh, just a second. In 1 Kings chapter number uh, 26. 1 Kings chapter number 26. It says, And Jeroboam, he's the king of the north, said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return unto the house of David, if this people go up to sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their, God, or unto their, their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go, after, uh, go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel, and he made two calves of gold, and said unto them, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold, thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. You know what he did? He said, "Folks, you know it's too far for you to go down to uh, down to Jerusalem. You people, you know you can't travel that far. So I, I'll make some gods for you to worship that are a little more convenient. May I share with you something? We have come in a day just like this time here that we're looking for convenient. Christianity. We're looking for that which is easy. If it requires something of me, I don't want it. Jeroboam, he says, you know what? I'm going to give you something that's going to make it real easy for you to worship. You don't have to go down to Jerusalem, like God said. He didn't say that part, but that's the truth. God said there was one place for worship. It was in Jerusalem. It's where the temple Remember Solomon prayed, he said, Lord, if people will, will turn to, turn, uh, come to this place and they will, they will pray toward this place and, and ask you, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven, will uh, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Hey, that was all dealing with this place called the temple there in Jerusalem. Jeroboam says, you know what, you don't need to go down there to worship. You don't need to go down there. That place—that's the place where they were going to, where they had the Levites who were going to teach the people the word of God. You don't need to go down there. You don't need to listen to that. I'll give you something better. So Jeroboam made a couple of gods. Notice what he says, and he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. And he made a house of the high places, and made the priests of the lowest of the people which were not of the sons of the Levi. God had said the priests were to be the Levites. See, God had, had a direction. He said, this is the way it's supposed to be. The Levites were supposed to lead in worship to God. They were the ministers that were, uh, the high priest was going to come out of the tribe of Levi. Jeroboam says, you know what? You don't have to listen to that. He says, I'll tell you what. Hey, the lowest of you, the lowest of you, hey, you people that have no character, i tell you what, give me a little money and you can be a priest. Can you imagine? You have a thief. He gives a little bit of money and I can be a priest. Now I've got special recognition. What are the people, how are the people going to respond? Hey, the, that priest, that, that, that uh, one in Jeroboam's area, hey, it's okay for you to steal. It's okay for you to lie. Well, over here on the other hand, the Levites were preaching the word of God. They were saying, you know what, we're to speak every man truth to his neighbor, and we're not to steal. Contrasting. People say, well, you know what, I kind of like that. I kind of like this one. This is, this is more kind of common. This is more how I feel. That's what Jeroboam, hey, that's where we have a lot of people today. They want a feel good type of religion, they want a feel good type of gospel. Hey, I want to I be a part of the gospel. I want to I do, you know, I want to have my part. That's what the Galatianism was all about. Believe in God, believe what Jesus, what they say, what God says about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. But you know what? You've got to keep the law. That's your part. You've got to do it in order to obtain salvation. Paul says it's a different gospel. He made a house of high places, the priests, the lowest of the people. They were not the sons of Levi and Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like unto the feast that was in Judah, and he offered unto the altar. You know, he just, he mimicked everything. Well, on the seventh month, 15th day, the Jews are supposed to go down to Jerusalem. All the Jews, north and south, they were supposed to go down here. Jeroboam says, you know what? That's too far for you. I'll make a religious day for you. It'll be the eighth month, 15th day. Similar, it sounds like. We're going to do the same type of things. And the people started doing this up here. And you know what? They became, they became comfortable doing that up here. Satan is a copycat. Satan is a copycat. New spiritual leaders, new gods. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. These people that were bringing this gospel into this church at Galatia, they had people that believing this false gospel. Hey, you need to believe in Jesus Christ that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Do you know there's some people that believe in that? That believe what you're saying, that Jesus died for their sins. They believe that part, but then they put another part to it. You must believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, but then you also must be baptized in order to be saved. Can I tell you something? That's a different gospel. You say, well, Pastor, wait a minute. Baptism is important. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. Baptism is an identification with the fact of what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's called sanctification. The first step of obedience once we are saved is to be baptized. We call it believer's baptism. Because you have to be saved before you can be baptized. Some people say, well, you know what? You can be baptized first and then saved. No, no, that's not how it works. It's not what the Bible teaches. Those that gladly received his word, the gospel, were baptized. And there were added unto them 3,000 souls. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2. People say, well, you know, Pastor, um, I believe that you need to believe the gospel I'm with you on that, that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. I understand that. But uh, may I share with you, I believe that you need to be a church member. You know, believe, plus become a church member in order to be saved. Can I tell you something? That's another gospel. Um, Pastor, I believe that you be, you must believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. You must believe that, and you must have keep the sacraments folks you know the, the, take partaking of the eucharist and, and obtaining a little bit more grace that's a different gospel folks people in the catholic church are, are preaching a different gospel than the gospel of the bible the muslims are teaching a different gospel they may talk about jesus and believe that he is one of the prophets but may i share with you it's a different gospel it's not the same gospel 7th day adventists are preaching a different gospel Faith in Jesus Christ, they'll use that terminology. And so many Christians uh, will get involved with that and say, yeah, I believe, but they also believe you've got to keep the Old Testament law. That's a different gospel. And Paul says, let them be accursed. You know what? Because you'll go to hell if that's what you're depending upon to get you to heaven. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's by Jesus and Jesus only that you and I, that we are saved. Satan will provide an, another gospel. A lot of people are believing in another gospel today. I remember I was talking with a person, I was, I was soul winning one day, and I was talking with this individual, and I said, are you, are you sure you're on your way to heaven? He said, absolutely, I'm, I'm sure I'm on my way to heaven. I said, well, how do you know? He says, well, I believe in the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I said, well, praise the Lord. I, I'm just listening. I didn't say, I just, in my mind, I'm saying praise the Lord. And he says, "I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and I've been baptized." He's of the Church of Christ. All of a sudden, red flag—the boop, 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 little, little, the little uh, red, red uh, signals are going off. You say, "Well, pastor, it sounds like that's what they—that's that, what it is." I said, "Well, you got to understand, the gospel plus." Is not another; it's a different gospel. Baptism. This gentleman, he said, "Well, I believe in baptism. The baptismal waters; they they, it washes away my sin." Christian church believes the same thing. That you go in those baptismal waters, you come out, and your your sins have been washed away. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's it. That's the only thing that can wash away your sin. Neither is uh, The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness. You don't have any blood. Jesus, you're not depending upon the blood of Jesus Christ. You have no redemption. So I was talking with this individual, and I said, well, do you believe the thief on the cross was saved? Do you believe that he he went to heaven? He said, Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise when this, that thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I said, do you believe that that thief on the cross went to heaven, went to be with the Lord Jesus Christ? He says, yes, I do. I said, well, was he baptized? He says, well, it rained. I said, what? It rained while he was on the cross, so that's how he was able to get both pieces in there. I said, you got to be kidding me. So you know what, we will try to accommodate our, our uh, false thinking rather than accept the truth of God's word. And can I tell you, Satan is, uses that to blind the minds of those who are lost, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine into them. You know, we talked about how Satan blinds people's minds. Folks, I'm, I'm convinced. There are a lot of people today that are believing in a false religion. They're believing in a false gospel, and Satan has done a great job. You go and talk to people, your friends and your neighbors, and when they say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, hey, just keep on listening, because if they add anything to it, it's a different gospel, and they're not saved. They need to get saved. Say, well, Pastor, as long as they believe that Jesus died for them, that's good enough. No, it's not. Listen to what they're saying. Because the devil will get them, will cause them to go off into eternity if they believe a different gospel. And he delights in that. Here's another work that Satan does. Not only does he blind the minds of those that are lost, Satan ende- endeavors to remove the word of God from men's hearts before it has a chance to take hold. Satan comes and tries to snatch the word of God, out of people's hearts before it it takes hold. Turn with me to Mark chapter number 4. Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter number 4, beginning with verse number 14, Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower and the seed. It says in verse 14, it says, The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that is sown in their hearts. Jesus is teaching the folk a parable about the sower and the seed. He uses the analogy of the heart of a man, a heart of a man or woman, boy or girl, as being four different types of soil into which a seed might fall. These four soils, one is by the wayside. It's a hard, hard, uh, uh, hard heart. Uh, second is stony, there's not much earth, third is thorny, and the fourth is good soil. That first one, as you consider that, that wayside, the Bible says, in it, the sower soweth the word. The word of God, my friend, is precious. This book called the Bible is precious. Young people, I'm going to tell you, and adults, when people take the word of God and they just throw it around, boy, that's dishonoring to the word of God. This book is precious. This is the Word of God. You ought to treat it with respect. Some of you treat it with so so much respect, you put it on the shelf and you never look at it. Well, that's not what God wants. God expects us to take it down and to open its pages and to read it. That's showing respect. Showing respect because this is how God speaks to us today. He speaks to us through His Word. Some of us, we, we come on Sunday, we hear it on Sunday, we open it on Sunday... And we won't open it again until next Sunday. I submit to you, you're starving in the week. Because this is the bread of life. When you open the Word of God, God is trying to feed you from His Word. He's trying to encourage your spiritual life. He's trying to help you to grow. The more you feast upon the Word of God, the more you will grow. You say, well, Pastor, I a little bit. I can only handle a little bit. It's amazing how if you will just start feeding on the Word of God, it will increase your appetite for spiritual things. You know, a person who hasn't eaten for a long period of time, they don't want food. They don't like food. They they take it down in their stomach because their stomach has shrunk. They, they have to kind of build that back out. Some of us have, have really enabled that, to, that process to go well, haven't we? Amen. we yeah, exactly. We've expanded that out. Yeah, exactly. Big, big time. But may I share with you when we think about this here that the Word of God is precious. The Bible says in Psalm 126.6, He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed, the Word of God, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There is no other book quite like the Word of God. It is God's revelation of truth to mankind. It's God's love letter to you. I don't know about you, when my wife would write me love letters, I wanted to open those things up and see what she had to say. She said some pretty nice things. She thought I was pretty intelligent. You say, Pastor, you're getting caught up in pride. I'd like to hear it from her. She said, she'd said she say you're, things like, you're handsome. I said, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> and i write sweet things back to her. Honey, I love you with all my heart. And, and you're beautiful, and, and all these things. Hey, it's because it was a love letter. It was expressing my heart. Can I tell you something? That's what God does in His Word. He expresses His heart to you. You say, I wish God would speak to me. He would every day if you just take the time. So often, we're so busy, we don't have time to hear God speak. The Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. He wants to speak to you, folks. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, verse twelve, it says, "The word of God, for the word of God is quick or living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart." Do you know what this book can read you and me? So, what do you mean it reads you and me? You start reading through the Word of God. And you'll find that God knows how you're thinking, even right now. You know where we, what the goals are of your life, and, and what's the motive behind your goals, and, and what's the motive be, behind doing what you're doing. This book can read you. You say, well, Pastor, I'm a self made man. No, you're not. It's God who gave you the power, it's God who gave you the mind. Can I tell you something? It's God who can scramble your mind real quick. You say, well, how do you know, Nebuchadnezzar? He was a king who had received a great kingdom. God had given him that kingdom. Allowed him to reign and to rule. And this great kingdom, and he goes out one day and struts like a peacock and says, look at all this that I've made. And a voice from heaven comes and says, hey, I'm the one that gave you all this. And for seven years, You're going to go out and act like an animal. And he lost his mind for seven years and lived like an animal. Can I tell you something? All of us need to realize there's a God. There's a God who's in control. There's a God who made us. There's a God who's provided all these things and the Word of God reveals that to us. When I was at Christian Heritage College down in the San Diego area there was a psychologist, who said, you know what, I'm not, I don't, uh, I'm, I don't go to the leaning of the world psychology, and can I tell you something, the world psychology is not godly. Freud, and all of his thinking, Freud was a lost person. Why would you as a Christian go to a lost person for psychology and try to understand your spiritual being?" Well, they're just going to help me out. I'm going to lay down on this little thing, and I'm going to talk to them, and I'm just going to tell them all my thoughts. Can I tell you something? You need to go to the great counselor, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, one of the, 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 the uh, psychologists that was there at Christian Heritage College, he said, you know, I'm not going to use the world's philosophy in establishing this, this uh, course on psychology. I'm going to use the book of Proverbs. And that's what he did. The problems that you have, he would look at the scriptures and look at Proverbs. Proverbs is God's wisdom. God has an answer for your need. God has an answer for your problems. If you go to God, God can help you. But you know what? We as Christians, we'd rather go to a secular person, a person who doesn't know God. In fact, many times, people who hate God and say, now you help me and get me straightened down. Folks, We are so messed up in our thinking. We need to get back to God. We need to put God first in our life. We need to fill our mind and our heart and our life with God. And let Him have control. We need to surrender all to Jesus Christ. You know, it's the Gospel... The Word of God is a life changing message. The gospel means good news. It's transformed drunkards and made them preachers. It's transformed those whose minds and lives have been messed up by sin, like the gathering demoniac, and given them peace and joy. 2 Timothy 1 7 says, For God hath not given unto us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Folks, we need to get back to those verses like that. We are in a nation today where people, Christians, are fearful. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But you know what? We've listened to the world so much, we're fearful. Instead, we don't listen to our God. Hey, our God will give us peace. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of God's Spirit working in us is love and joy and peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You know, in Mark chapter four verse fifteen, we find that once the word of God is is given or, or shared with an individual, Satan comes to remove it out of the heart of that individual. Look what it says, verse fifteen: "And these are they by the wayside, where the word is when the word is sown, but when they have heard the word, Satan cometh immediately. He doesn't waste any waste any time. It's kind of like a hound dog that's caught the scent of a coon." Some of you ever gone coon hunting. You, well, when that dog gets that, boy, that, that, that scent, boy, that, that dog is right on there. That's how Satan is. You know what I can tell you right now? That's what Satan's doing to some of you right now. You've heard the Word of God. You've heard the truth of God's Word. And Satan is, boy, he's right there to snatch it out of your life. You know how he does it? This is, this is, how, this is how some of the ways he does it. People get their keys. Christians will get their keys when the Word of God's preaching, and they'll get out and they'll start doing this. And all of a sudden, that person where the Spirit of God is trying to to work on that, that person's heart and life, all of a sudden, people are doing this. And that person's mind is diverted. Satan is stealing the verse, that Scripture, out of that person's heart. Or how about this one? Or how about this one? We'll be sitting down. You know what? Uh, we'll sit down in the front, or down this area down here. By the way, I like it when people sit in the front. I like to be in the spitting section. You know, that's where you're going to get it. You know, behold, I come quickly. It's like the preacher said, "Behold, I come quickly." And and the people are kind of like, "Well, oh, great." He was talking about Jesus coming again. And this lady was sitting down, and and the people were sitting there listening. And the, the preacher says, "Behold, I come quickly." Everybody still like this? And so the preacher goes, rears back and says, Behold, I come quickly! And he goes over the top of the pulpit and winds up in the lady's lap in the front row. <laughs> and he gets up and he apologizes to the lady. He says, Ma'am, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I didn't mean to, to, to wind up in your lap. She says, Well, no problem. You warned me three times that you were coming. <laughs> but may I share with you that when I get up and I walk down the aisle and I go over there to the ba- go out the door to go to the bathroom, and then I'll come back in the door and I'll come all the way down to the front. Can I tell you something? The people who, who God is trying to reach their heart, their eyes are following you all the way down and all the way out and all the way back in. And you know what? You, God or Satan has allowed you to be a means whereby you will, he will steal the word out of the heart of some people. She Pastor, I didn't really mean it. Well, if you have to go to the restroom, I understand we, we all have to do that sometimes. You come in, sit back there. But my family's up, sit back there. But sit back there. You say, why? I tell you, folks, we ought not to let Satan use us in any form or fashion. Because Satan will use whatever he can to steal the Word of God. He doesn't want it to have any root in the heart and life of an individual. He comes immediately to steal it out of people's hearts and lives. Satan knows that if a person hears of God's amazing love for them in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He knows that if they hear that God loves them and over time as as they hear that they will respond to the gospel even the hardest of hearts. Satan doesn't want the Bible to get down deep into a person's thoughts because he knows the spirit of God will convict them of sin of righteousness and of judgment. Satan takes away the word. That word taketh away means to remove. To move to to take away from another what is his or what has been committed to him even to the point of taking it by force. How does Satan take away the word of God that's sown in a person's heart? Here's just a couple of ways very quickly. I said by doing this type of stuff. That's why it's so important. Young people and people talking. I've had people sitting in church. Now, I'm not talking about young people. I'm talking about I'm talking about adults. Hey, what do you think the preacher's talking about now? I don't like that. In church. I've had to call adults down in church. Why? Because they're distracting everybody else in church. Folks, can I tell you something? It's not just young people. Sometimes young people are are better behaved than adults. How does Satan steal the word of God? By telling the hearer that the word... Was not worth keeping. That's how Satan steals it. The Word of God comes, and Satan comes right on the heels of that and says, "You know what? That stuff is just antiquated. That's out of out of touch. The Word of God is outdated. Science is more reliable than the Scriptures." Have we heard that a little bit? The mantra of our day: Follow the science. The reality: Science is ever changing. What is acceptable today is wrong tomorrow, and vice versa. Not many years ago, we were told not to use hand sanitizers. Anybody remember that? Boy, don't use any hand sanitizers because it kills all the good germs that are around you, and it will cause you so that you'll become more infected with all sorts of other things, and so don't use hand sanitizers. Now what do they tell us? Use hand sanitizers. You know, what? we're killing all the good germs, and you say, how in the world can these people come up with this goofy stuff? That's the science that you people, that we're told to follow. Because it's more exact, it's more right, it's more truth than it. I like this one. On, on March 3rd, 2018, in the Chicago Tribune, it said this. There's an article entitled, Before raw water, radium water was the craze, and then people died. This is, this is what the article had to say. In our, in our quest for health and longevity, we're always looking for surefire shortcuts and miracle cures, whether through rigorously tested science or the fast and loose recommendations of an alternative health website. Silicon Valley embraced the raw water uh, is, the, is the latest expression of the obsession. Uh, for about $15 a gallon, you can get a, a bottle of water that has come straight from the mountain spring, untreated, unsterilized, supposedly brimming with all of the vitality Mother Nature intended, but also likely carrying nasty pathogens that don't have your best interests at heart. How many have ever gone hiking in the, those, the water that flows? Oh, that's nice and clean water. Oh, man, I drank some of that stuff, and oh, my... Man, I thought I was going to die. In fact, I, my boys, we were, we were hiking in the mountains, and it was so bad, I was praying that I would die. <laughs> oh, man, my, my sons had to carry my pack. I couldn't even carry it. I was just, and I had, we were gone for a, a week, and I got it like the second day. And I was thinking, I'm not going to make it out of here alive. My, my I said, they, let's put on this pack. We had like a, a 40-pound pack, and I am said, I don't care if this pack stays here. I'll sleep out under the trees. I'm, you know, they, they helped to get me to the other end, but I'll tell you what, I was sick. I was sick. So that's, this is that good, clean water. <laughs> Spring water. In the early part of the 20th century, a different kind of tonic was making high-energy splash. It was called radium water. What could a glass of water infused with ra- a, a radioactive element do for you? The clinical evidence was sorely lacking, to say the least, but the early buzz electrified imaginations and opened pocketbooks. Though the science of radioactivity was in its infancy, doctors and lay people and tribune reporters were all quick to declare radium to be the grand bringer of health. Such intoxication over the latest, greatest thing inspired people to not only quaff at the elixir of youth, Though to banish all manner of disease, from anemia to high blood pressure to gout and arthritis, if you just take this stuff, man, it's going to take care of gout. It's going to ta- Yeah, it's going to take care of gout. Radium, radiation, water. Well, that's going to be great for you. It's going to clear everything. It's get the the, um, the elixir of youth. But also to put their trust in devices that promise to deliver therapeutic doses of radioactive energy continuously. It would take decades and several deaths before the fanciful notions about radium and radioactivity to be dispelled. Hey, that's science. Follow the science. Folks, can I tell you something? You need to follow the scriptures. God's word has been forever settled in heaven. The truth of this book has been tried. The Bible says, Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times. You can't get better than the word of God. It will tell you what the truth is. And people today, Christians today, will follow the science rather than following the word of God. It's time we get back to the Bible. It's time to get back to the Word of God. Satan won't tell you, you know what? The Word of God's outdated. It's not outdated. It's just as relevant today as it's ever been. In fact, even more so. Satan will say something like this to try to snatch the Word of God out. You'll have people mock the one who listens to the Word of God. I remember being in an advanced biology class in high school. And the teacher gets up and the or the first of the, the class time period, this is an advanced biology class, and I was sitting there as a student, and the teacher would say, said something like this, as we all know that evolution is true. And anyone with a scientific mind can clearly see the facts for themselves. Only a fool would believe in creation. And, you know, all the kids in the class, you know, we don't, I don't want to be a fool. So... As the teacher's making these comments, and we got into class, and I would raise my hand. He says, "Is there?" In fact, actually, he asked us. He says, "Are there any of Are there any of you in here that believe in creation?" And there were a couple of us who raised our hand. And he looked at me with disdain. So as we started into that course, and he's talking about how that how that this uh, the slime produced life and out of that produced these little frogs and, and they kind of slithered up onto the onto the uh, the shore and, and they you know they got they lo- they they, uh, they they lost their tail and they you know they started walking upright. I and I said, excuse me, sir, where's the transitional forms in archaeology? Well there they I said sir, there's not one transitional form going from one species to another. In the uh, Academy of Science down in San Francisco, I like to walk through the science, science uh, places down there, and, and they'd walk through, and they, they'd say, well, this is, this is how you know, we went from here, and they had all these different uh, men kind of developing, and they had no transitional forms. They had to draw them in. Our scientists, remember, on a pig's tooth, they said, oh, well, this is millions of years old. Oh, folks, no, no. I submit to you, they found out it was a pig's tooth. There are no transitional forms. Because we see, what we see in science is that it comes on the scene immediately. All the species come on the scene. They don't. There's not half, half, uh, what, half cat and something else. They're all cats. Dogs are dogs. Folks, may I share with you today that Satan tries to steal the word of God from people's hearts. If he can't do it one way, he'll try another. I'm here today to tell you Satan is not your friend. He is not your friend. He's your foe. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We are in a battle today, folks, let me ask you a question. Whose side are you on? Today, if you're, on, if you're believing in evolution, can I tell you something? You're on Satan's side. That is Satan's philosophy. That's Satan's direction. And you're embracing what Satan has to say. If you're on the abortion mindset today, and say, well, pastor, I believe in abortion. Can I tell you something? You're not on God's side. God says to kill is murder. Murder. And 60 million babies that have been aborted, it's called murder. We have blood shed all over the place in, the, in our nation. Can I tell you something? God says the only way of cleansing blood is to have blood be shed by those who shed it. We are living in a day, it's time for us to get off the fence and decide which side we're, we're with. We've got a lot of Christians that are trying to straddle the fence. Kind of like the guy during the Civil War. He was trying to please everybody. And so on the, the top he had, he had a Union uniform and in the, on the bottom he had a, the South uniform. And so he got, shot in the, he got shot in the top by one side and got shot in the bottom on the other side. Why? Because he was being both sides. Folks, you can't be both sides. It's time for us as Christians to stand up and say, I believe what the Bible says and I'm going to follow what God says. I'm not going to go with Satan. Folks, we are living in a day if we don't do this now, our nation is going to pay the debt. And the consequences are going to be horrendous. It's time for us to stand up and be identified with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before You right now, and we realize that Satan is alive and well. Lord, he provides another, a different gospel for people to believe. Provides a different religion. Doesn't matter what the religion is. There's so many isms, spisms, and spasms out there that he provides. Doesn't matter. Just as long as they don't come to the, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, he comes and he tries to snatch away the word that's sown in people's hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize that Satan is working. Lord, that we would not be part and parcel to what he's doing. That we would not allow ourselves to to go in that direction. To be used by him to, to snatch away, whether it be in our services here or to lead people astray by telling them they don't need to believe the Bible. And I've heard Christians say that. God, I pray that you would wake people up Lord, I pray right now, if there's one without Jesus Christ, I pray they'd get saved today. Lord, there's people that are listening on the internet. I pray that they would receive Christ as their Savior, that they would decide today to make Jesus the King and Lord of their life, that they would surrender their life to Him. And I pray, God, right now that you would have your will and way. If every head bowed and every eye closed today as you're thinking about the message, Right now let me share with you the gospel. The gospel is is that Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again the 3rd day according to the scriptures. You're a sinner who needs a savior. You need to have Jesus Christ come into your life and save you from your evil wicked sins so that you can go to heaven one day and have a relationship with God. If you're not sure if you've never asked Jesus to be your savior, I pray today that you'll humble yourself and you will surrender to the Lord and ask Him to be your Savior. Right now, where you're seated, you can pray a simple prayer if you truly mean it, and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe He shed His blood on the cross to pay for my sin. And today, I want to ask Him to be my Savior. I want Him to come into my heart, deliver me from my sin. I want to follow Him the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, and you truly meant that, and you asked Jesus to be your Savior... Bible says that He has come into your heart and He saved you. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it with no one looking around, would you do me a favor? I'd love to pray for you as you begin your new Christian life. Would you just slip your hand up for a moment and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. I asked Christ to be my Savior. Let me ask you, dear Christian, have you been sidetracked by Satan? Or have you been used by Satan? to cause others to stumble, and to fall. Today, if that be where you are, I pray that God would speak to your heart and say, from this point forward, I'm not going to do that anymore. Dear Christian, let me ask you, are you just uh, in that mindset, it doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you believe? Can I tell you something? That's a lie from the devil. It does matter what you believe. And I pray today that you'd ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life if you're saved. He wants to be. The only place of true joy and peace is in the surrendering of your life to him. Dear Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us right now as we have the song of invitation. And Father, I pray if you are speaking to our hearts, I pray that we would not turn you away, but Lord, you would just uh, work in our hearts and draw us to yourself. We thank you for your goodness, Lord, but we pray right now for the convicting power of the Spirit of God. Lord, you draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and and turn your psalm books to page 280. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me.